Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. All right, my chickens, if you had asked me five years ago, would I be interviewing an ex-Mormon coach or just in fact, would I have as much familiarity with the Church of Latter-day Saints as I do now? I would have said no, but it turns out that actually for a variety of reasons, quite a lot of, I would say, disproportionate number of members of the Church of Latter-day Saints in the coaching world for actually kind of fascinating ideological reasons, I think in the sort of general coaching world, a little less common here in the feminist coaching world, but my amazing student and call yourself an ex-Mormon coach. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yes. Amy Logan. I'm going to let her introduce herself. We are going to talk about Amy's journey through questioning and eventually choosing to leave the church of what I always say this one. Was it the church church of of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. I kept leaving out Jesus. That's what a Jew would do. The church of (laughs) Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Trying to be respectful, as I've been told, that Mormon is not the preferred term anymore, at least for outsiders. So her experience of leaving the church and how kind of feminism and patriarchy and women's own authority sort of showed up in that journey. And obviously, I feel like it's always good to do this claimer. We're talking about Amy's experience and what she experienced in the church. This is not a condemnation of any particular religion. Lord knows Judaism has plenty of patriarchs too. So it is not about singling out any particular religion, both a specific conversation about Amy's experience and a kind of a more general conversation about how being raised in a patriarchal religion, which many people are, kind of impacts the way you think about things. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Amy. And I will put a disclaimer too. Yes, I'm an on-purpose ex-Mormon coach, and maybe we'll get to why I use that term, but my family is still in the church. I love so many Mormons. They're countless. I mean, Mormon people are still my people. I love them to forever and ever. But yeah, I grew up in the Mormon faith. I was born into it. My mom was a convert at 16. And wait, that's so interesting. Okay. (laughs) I already have so many questions. Sorry, you finished, but then we got to talk about what made your mother convert at 16. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know all the details, but Uh it is interesting to me. My mom's personality, my personality, it's, it's an interesting thing, but So the cliff notes of my story, born into it, 100% in, believing member, did all the Mormon rites of passage, you know, married in the temple, went to BYU, all of that kind of thing, Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Married in the temple, had children, was all in, did all the things, held all the callings, which would be the way we serve within the church. Mm -hmm. And I had what is commonly known as a faith crisis. That's kind of the main term we use for it. Mm -hmm. It's morphing into truth crisis, some people say. Mm, Um, But I still use the word and verbiage Mormon because when I left the church, the church themselves were still using Mm -hmm. that term. And so to me, it's that was me in the church. I was a Mormon Mm -hmm. and there was even like a marketing campaign. It was called I Am a Mormon. Like everything Mm -hmm. was very much around that. So Mm That's how I identify as an ex-Mormon. Well, also, I just think in-group, out-group is different. You know, if you're a member of a group, like, I will call myself whatever kind of Jew I want. But Sure. (laughs) Right, when you're on the outside. Yeah. Okay, so, so many questions, but, and obviously we want to talk about your journey and what led you to there, but can we talk about your mother converting at 16? Mm -hmm. Fall in love with a Mormon boy? 
you know what? I don't know the order of things, but yes, she did <laughs> fall in love with a Mormon boy. But my mom was always and has always been a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Her parents, my grandparents, weren't religious at all. And mm-hmm. as a little girl, she would like walk herself down to the Mormon church <laughs> so wow. she could attend. Like, was that just like the closest church or did she always have some kind of pull um, towards this religion in particular? No, I don't think she always had a pull towards it. I think there was a time when my mom married my dad and my dad was a never member, never mm-hmm. Mormon. Mm-hmm. They went to the Lutheran church. I was like itty, itty, bitty. Hmm. But she just always felt a connection with God and Jesus and just Christianity in general. And I think there were a few people in her neighborhood that were Mormon and kind of mm. scooped her under their wings. But she's always had a very strong spiritual pull. But sure. your father was not religious and not a member of the church. Correct. Mm-hmm. He had a very opposite upbringing with some, what would you say the word is very extreme? Fundamentalist. Fundamentalist Christianity, mm-hmm. backwards Kentucky, kind of that type of. And so he had a very abusive religious Mm -hmm. upbringing, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so she did meet a Mormon boy. I'm going to be all over the place. So just keep me on track if I go off track too far. She did meet a young man who went on a mission. Uh Mormon boys go on missions. Back in the day, it was around age 19. It's since changed to 18. But Mm -hmm. he went on a mission and... I think during that time she met my dad. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. One of those stories. So um, you were raised very participatory in the church. So at some point she started going to temple, participating in Mormon mm-hmm. life more. And your father was just like, nope, not me. No. And his big reasonings was up until 1978, people of color, but specifically African descent, Black mm-hmm. people of African descent were not allowed to have the Mormon priesthood. Mm-hmm. And so I remember. Like, can you explain for people what the priesthood is, okay, though? Because so they the may priest- think that just means being a priest. Okay. No, yeah, no, not at all. Boys through the church go through certain rites of passage where they receive different levels of priesthood, which give them special keys in order to perform certain ceremonies. They can go on a mission, they can bless people mm-hmm. um, with laying on of hands, they can hold positions in the church, whether it's a bishop or stake president and kind of going up through the authority of the church with the priesthood, which women are not allowed to hold. And until 1978, men of color, but particularly black men were not allowed to hold. Correct. Yes. Yes. Could you still attend the church if you were not a priesthood holder? Yes. Anyone can attend the church, but they just didn't have the priesthood. And Mm -hmm. that's key to being able to make it to the celestial kingdom, Mm -hmm. which is the highest degree in the Mormon hierarchy of heaven. Wait, so there are no women in the celestial kingdom? Yes, yes. But they have to be married to a priesthood holder. Okay. You have to be sealed to a priesthood holder. Yes, you have to be sealed to a priesthood holder. Okay. So just a tiny bit patriarchal. Just a little bit. <laughs> the religion. <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious, when you were growing up, did you feel like you noticed that? Did it no. just seem like totally normal to you? It was just what I knew. It was what it was. I didn't ever question. Like I said at the beginning of this, like mm-hmm. I was the I don't want to say perfect Mormon girl, but I was the exemplary Mormon girl. Like I did all the things. Even though your father, were your parents still married? They divorced when I was nine, almost okay. 10. But did and you have a relationship with your dad or he? Um, spotty. I see. Okay. So my so mom he quickly your... remarried. Mm-hmm. My mom quickly remarried in the temple. I see. Okay. And then we were kind of this family. 
and my oh, dad okay. was peripheral. I was like imagining you in a house where one person is like talking all the time about how it's ridiculous and one person right. is completely in it. Okay. Yeah. So you were really in like a nuclear family, basically, that was oriented towards the church. Yes. Yeah. We were all in. Mm-hmm. It was just our life. Like I didn't question it. We had the truth. I mm-hmm. thought, how was I so lucky to be blessed into this family mm-hmm. that had all the truth? This family and then this church mm-hmm. at a higher level. So so how, when did that start to change for you? What happened? Uh, well, that's the interesting thing. My life in the church was good. I loved growing up in the church. We had a very strong youth program and it was life. It was everything. You're kept pretty busy in the Mormon church. They give you what are called callings. So it's it's considered a lay ministry from a certain point down where everyone teaches Sunday school, teaches what we call primary, which are where the young children go. You teach young men's, young women's, just the different levels, mm-hmm. not levels, but the different parts of the church. Everyone kind mm-hmm. of breaks off after the main meeting, which is sacrament meeting on Sundays. And it was always a three hour Sunday block of time. Mm-hmm. that we would go to church for. And then everyone had callings and then you had activities and it just super, super busy. It was just, mm-hmm. it, it's literally a lifestyle really. Right. Yeah. So I didn't start questioning until I was about 30. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we just recently moved back to Utah from Texas and I was going through an old journal and this was 2001. And in that journal, I made a to-do list and on the top of the to-do list was to find out if the church is true. Hmm. I just found you're like out. pick up the groceries and find and out find if out if the church is true. <laughs> but what sparked you beginning to have doubts or questions? I would say the very first we kind of call it a shelf. Like we probably do this with other parts of life too, where we just go like, well, I just don't need to worry about that yet. I put it on my shelf. When I was a young mom had my first baby in 97. And my husband was in the Bishop Rick, which is the Bishop Rick is over. It's like a congregation. The Mormon church breaks who you meet with at church and congregations, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of like boundaries in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And my husband was in the leadership of that ward. And there was a big project going on to where he was gone five days a week. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, this is a family church. Mm -hmm. I rarely see my husband and we have a newborn because he also had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I didn't think too much about it. It was what it was. We ended up moving. It was fine. Of course, he was also in other leadership positions and other wards, but I just didn't think much about it. And it was around 2000 when I would say my main reason for questioning was the concepts and teachings around polygamy. Mm Mm-hmm. I was having a really hard time with that concept because it's in our canonized scripture that Mm. we will be polygamists in the next life. Mm. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I'll be on record. I have no problem with polygamy if everyone is of age. and polyamory, really. Like that everybody, right. Right. Like that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But it was still in my studies, my religious studies. And I would ask my husband and I would ask whoever I could. And the answer I would always get was, don't worry about it. It will work itself out in the next life. I'm like, but I signed up for this and this is now (laughs) no longer, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. no longer sitting well with me. So that was kind of my first heavy shelf item Mm -hmm. when I just interesting because it's like in the next life polygamy is, and they mean polygamy, not polyamory, right? It's like one man, multiple wives is like mandatory. Yes. Right. It's not so well, right. You're like, I support if, 
people all want to consensually be involved right. in non-monogamous relationships. That's yes. one thing, but totally. Yeah. But the way, and so, and I hadn't allowed myself to study what was outside of kind of canonized, correlated Mormon mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. And so finally in 2006, I gave myself permission to read anything. I was 36. Mm-hmm. I had a couple kids. Mm-hmm. I thought if the church is true, it won't matter what I read. Totally. So I went down. A like spoiler hole. alert. It turned <laughs> out to matter. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and I went through probably a couple years of intense research and found out that what my take on it is, is mm. that we were taught a very whitewashed version of the history of the church. Mm. And I felt very betrayed because what I had believed my whole life was literally the tip of the iceberg of what was underneath it. Mm. And so it was very, what did you feel like had been left out or had been whitewashed? Um, like for example, so Joseph Smith was the founder of the church back in the 1800s and he was an advocate for polygamy, but he spent many years being in polygamous relationships without his legal wife knowing. Mm. And revelations seem to come at convenient times <laughs> for the Mormon church. That seems to kind of be, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to like break anyone else's shelf out there that might be listening. I think if they're listening to unfuck your brain, they're at okay, least you're right. outside the canon. You're Even right. more students, once they listen to the podcast, they've encountered some things outside. Okay. Well, and I think that more information is known. And since I've left, I officially mm-hmm. left around 2006 had my name removed from the church records in 2009, which is also a process you have to go through. Mm -hmm. But now the church is coming up with what they call church essays to address some of these harder Mm -hmm. issues that people didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of an inoculation, I think, to start teaching the things that we, my kind of my generation, that didn't know about because it was kind of before the information age. Like now you I was gonna say, do you think this is like partly about the internet? So absolutely and thought about it, but like now people can get access to other resources. Right. I think that's exactly what's going on. Wow. And so they are trying to kind of come clean with some of the information, but for me it was to, you know, they weren't doing that at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was told what I was reading was anti-Mormon literature. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it's literally just the history. <laughs> like the book I bought, I bought at Deseret Book, which is a church-owned bookstore. Oh, that's so interesting, really. <laughs> and so, so the church-owned bookstore is publishing books that contain this information. Right around that time. Like that book that was published, I think it was published in 2005, I want to say. I read it in 2006. So they were starting to. And, you know, in any religion, you've got the people who know all the things. Right. Right. Of course, some people know all of it and choose to be a member of the religion, right? And that still happens today, right? Yeah. It's not like this information means you make a certain choice. It just sounds like for you, it felt like a betrayal because you felt like you hadn't been sort of told what was going on. Right. I felt like I was going to all my meetings. I held leadership callings as I grew up and, you know, was a married woman in the church. I was primary president, young woman's president. I had, I don't want to say authority, but I was over certain aspects of the church as far as women can do. And I'm like, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. I go to the temple. I wear my temple garments daily. Mm -hmm. I do all the things. And here I am a hundred percent in. And how did I not know this information? Mm -hmm. And that's the part that felt like a betrayal to me because I just thought, 
that's where I felt the deceiving was like, just mm-hmm. teach us that we believed a lot of crazy things. <laughs> Why not just tell us all <laughs> like, just things? add this in. We can believe this too. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so how did you, I'm curious, like what it was like to go from kind of living a life where men had decided pretty much everything for you and men had all of the authority, right? Sounds mm-hmm. like women can't be priesthood holders. Women can't hold Correct. church positions, right? The whole mm-hmm. thing is run by men. So how do you think that kind of impacted you? I mean, I actually just coached another, you know, person who had recently left the church about Mm. like all the trouble she had claiming her own authority. Absolutely. Coming out of the church. And, and because she felt like number one, okay, women aren't the authority, but also seeing what she saw in the church and feeling like there were, you know, abuses of power, which again, happened in every religion for sure. Mm -hmm. But like what she then associated with authority was basically male abuse of power. So she didn't even want any authority. Right. right. And you'll, it's very common to hear women, many Mormon women, maybe not all of them saying, it's okay. I don't even want the priesthood. That's like extra responsibility. Mm-hmm. But it's such a psychological impact to where I went through all of my deconstruction. I had kind of unraveled that quickly after that was the unraveling of Christianity. And I was pretty good, but now I was kind of in a space in my life where am I going to stay in my marriage? Am I not? And I was still what I would consider in crisis mode because I literally wanted nothing to do with anything Mormon. Like that's how, how did your husband and kids handle that? I kept it for my kids for a while. Mm-hmm. And I would, I finally got the nerve to tell my husband because here we entered, like I got married at 20, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm very young and we entered this agreement. And so I still didn't see the patriarchal connection. Mm-hmm. I was going through this and I was sharing information with him saying, please read this information. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he wasn't very interested in it. Mm -hmm. And he was at the same time I was going through kind of my Mormon master's program. Mm -hmm. That's what I call it. (laughs) He was getting his executive MBA at BYU. Mm -hmm. So he was definitely preoccupied. He worked full time and then did this program at night. And I couldn't read enough. I couldn't study enough. Mm -hmm. Because part of me was like, are we sure? This did I really not know these things that Mormons believed? And I just like I that's why I felt so betrayed. And now I forgot the question you asked. No, me. no, no. So how did he take it kind of when you told Okay, yeah. Um doubts? I mean, we had lots and lots of different conversations, but at the end, for him it came down to his belief in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But there was just a big disconnect because I started, as is my personality, when I don't know what to do, I go quiet. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, me back then. Mm-hmm. I'm different now than I was. <laughs> even quieter. <laughs> yeah, even more quiet. And so what I thought was interesting and the piece that was so great being in your ACFC program was making the connections. Like I said, I had already deconstructed Mormonism, Christianity, and I'm fine mm-hmm. in the space that I'm in. But one of the things that I remember writing about as I was going through my faith crisis was, I'm just going to let my husband continue raising the boys Mormon. Mm-hmm almost like a default, like he knows better. Mm. <laughs> like maybe I'm not smart. Like enough. you can leave, no. but like everybody else is Mormon. So that's just got to continue. Right. And I think that's where I didn't see the patriarchal intersection of how that was mm-hmm. still in my life. And he's a good man. He's a good father. We're not married anymore, but mm-hmm. he was never an a authority abuser. Like we didn't have that. We had a very good relationship mm-hmm. actually, but I remember walking on the beach with a girlfriend in California one day, of course, we were living in Utah. Mm -hmm. So I was in California for a time and I was telling her this. I'm like, I'm just, I just don't think I should tell my kids. 
Mm-hmm. It was kind of like an identity crisis too. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. who am I? If you strip the Mormon label from me, who am I? I don't know. It made me reconstruct everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally wanted to run away from my kids too. Like that's mm-hmm. how difficult this was for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like anything, all the things, all the decisions I made, everything, I want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Came to my senses. I didn't want to leave my kids, but it did cross my mind. Cause I'm like, I'll just leave. They'll be better. They can stay in that world. Mm-hmm. And because we were living in Utah, everyone we knew was Mormon. Mm-hmm. My husband's family, his whole big family lived within 30 minutes of each other. Mm-hmm. And and my family, except for one brother, is still all Mormon. And it's a very lonely time mm-hmm. because you feel disconnected from everything that you knew. So I was talking to this friend who she had left the church years before. And I was telling her this story of like, well, I'm just going to kind of default to my husband, mm-hmm. let him kind of lead the way. And she's like, why would you think your children don't want to hear your side of the story? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting point. I'm still their mom. Right. And so, and they were 10 and 12 at the time. So they were still young and maybe even younger than that, probably nine and 11, but I slowly, as it was age appropriate, started sharing mm-hmm. things with them. So, and they stayed in the church? One is still in the church and one is out. Interesting. So okay. I have a son who served a mission, mm-hmm. who has also gotten married in the temple, mm-hmm. which I couldn't go to. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you do give up when you leave, mm-hmm. but I knew that consciously. I made that decision. Of course, they were young boys at the time, but I, yeah. I fast forwarded and thought there may be a day when I can't go to the wedding. Mm-hmm. but they did have a low ring ceremony as a side note. So it was fine, but it, it's still one of those things. It's, mm-hmm. there is some exclusion because you're no longer worthy to participate in going to the temple and the ordinances that go on in there. So, mm-hmm. Yes. I'm curious. So you referenced ACFC since my advanced certification in feminist coaching and Amy went through it. I actually trained Amy in her first coaching certification yes. when she went through the life coach school. She showed up being like, what's this? Where am I? I just heard like a podcast and signed up. Yeah. And here you are. Can I insert a little story there? Of course. So I think I was one of the last couple groups that got to go through live Yeah. through the life coach school. And we were put in groups ahead of time. So I was aware of you and Krista St. Germain was my other. Oh yeah. You and Krista. And I was like, who is this weird woman? Like what? (laughs) Like you're so opposite of me. (laughs) And I just thought, I don't know, she's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. <laughs> and then I met you, of course, because I was just like observing you like through oh, social. I was rubbing you the wrong way that. from a distance. <laughs> and then I met you and instantly fell in love with you. But I, I think it's such a funny little, like mm-hmm. my brain was in such a weird space then. So then you're yeah. teaching me all this. And I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I know. Right? Well, that was, I just remember being like, oh, wait, okay. Most of these people like know the basic tools and she's yeah, no. You were like, what do you mean circumstances are neutral? What are you what talking about? What is this model thing? I don't yeah, understand. <laughs> I remember that. But so but you, see, that was an example of me trusting myself sooner. Like, yeah. I'm like, this seems like something I need to be doing. I don't know why, but I'm going to do it. So I kind of went in blind and I am glad I did. Yeah, and then there you are. You were right to yeah. trust yourself. <laughs> so I'm curious sort of from the feminist perspective, like at what point, if ever, did you start like identifying as a feminist, for example? Like, would you say you I you thought about this journey like through the feminist lens before you kind of came through the coaching world or ACFC? I would say it's somewhere in the back of my head. I'm thinking, I think I'm identifying it as as a feminist, but it still had ties to being a dirty word. 
Sure. <laughs> from my childhood, like the ERA, mm-hmm. like the church was against the ERA, like mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. So that's still playing in the back of my head. But obviously, I mean, I am a student of yours. I follow you around wherever you go. And I loved everything that <laughs> just you like do. a little, just like a little train, oh, just little following puppy. me around. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, all of this is making sense. Maybe the term feminist isn't such a bad word. Mm. And I remember I was debating whether to sign up and you were messaging me and you're like, I think this might be really good for what you do. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I think that if you're helping people leave an extremely patriarchal religion and most of your clients are women, feminism might come in handy. And it's what, it's one of the reoccurring patterns that I see with my clients is they don't even see, I mean, that you can see patriarchy. All you have to look at the hierarchy of Mormonism and you can see all the men. Right. But I don't think they internalize it that way. I don't think you can't see it when you're in it. So then when you leave, you're deconstructing so many things. I don't know if your brain is necessarily going, well, now we will dismantle patriarchy. You're (laughs) like, I'm tired. I got to lay down. I just exhausted. (laughs) I'm curious now having gone through ACFC and really taken a deep dive into feminist theory and all of the kind of layers of intersectionality that we work through. I'm curious how that's changed if it's changed your perspective on like the work that you do and coaching people through these kinds of faith crises. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always used the term trusting yourself, Mm -hmm. which was like, you are your own authority, but I wasn't even necessarily considering it in the Mormon patriarchy just because I left that behind me a long time ago, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of a missing piece into me being able to see like, Oh, that's why my client's thinking that it's not Mm -hmm. just Mormonism, but it's, all the things, the Mormon patriarchy hierarchy, like the term church authority is something people use all the time. Well, the church Mm. authority are men. Right. And so women, there's this in my project that I turned into you for ACFC, I kind of outlined this hierarchy of men and then women are down at the bottom. It's so interesting because like even for someone like me who's outside the church, when I hear church authority, it's just sort of a neutral phrase. It doesn't really mean anything to me, but to imagine it as like, it's so heavily male yeah, for you or for someone who's come through the church, right? Because even if you're not conscious of it, it's like the church authority is all male. It's mm-hmm. male authority. Well, and to go a little deeper in that, like for example, twice a year, the church holds what they call a general conference where they have speakers and mostly male speakers. They do have some women speakers, but women weren't even allowed to pray publicly in general conference until 2013. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that when I was Mm -hmm. in, I mean, I wasn't in, in 2013, but those are the types of things that when it's just the way things are done, Mm -hmm. it's just was like, well, this is just how things are done. I, I didn't question it. Yeah. When I do think there's that interesting, I was thinking about how you said like the, you know, that Mormon women are like, well, obviously not all of them, but that's, there's sort of this shared joke of like, well, we don't even want that authority like that, you know? And I think about like, you know, my obviously being Jewish, that's my perspective. And I grew up, you know, like in the, what's called conservative, which doesn't mean politically conservative, it just means like sort of basically keep some of the traditions. You're not completely reform. It's not kind of completely you haven't completely gotten rid of all the rules, but there are obviously, you know, there's Orthodox, there's ultra Orthodox. I have cousins, I have relatives on the whole spectrum everywhere from like basically no practice to like live in, you know, upstate communities of only the ultra Orthodox and our Haredi and all of that. Okay. But there is this, this similar kind of like women have less spiritual obligations, right? Like men have to pray this much a day. Women 
they don't have to do all the same prayers. It's like not, right? And there's this sort of, I feel like this comes up when talking about patriarchy a lot where it's almost like people misunderstand patriarchy as being like, it means that everything operates to women's disadvantage, right? Or like in a system of white supremacy, everything operates to people of color's disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And like the reality is always more nuanced than that in some ways, right? Like it's a quote unquote benefit for most women to not be in the draft for the army, right? Mm, Right. But that's a signal of patriarchy that the men are drafted and the women aren't. And like, obviously there are places where it may look like, well, it's not oppressive. This is a benefit. Like I don't have to do this thing, right? I don't have to go to synagogue at this time, but it's like, because you're supposed to be home in the home on your traditional role, preparing dinner for all the children you've had because, right? Like, so sort of just seeing that, like, I do feel like sometimes one of the blocks people have to seeing the system and why it's a problem is they see these sort of bits and pieces where it actually like operates to their advantage or seems Mm -hmm. like, right, who wants to have to be an authority and go to the extra meetings? Who wants to have to like go on the mission to the middle of nowhere? Who want, like, we don't want to have Mm -hmm. to do those things. Yeah. But you always have to take a step back and be like, okay, but what am I treating for that? Right? Like with authority comes responsibility, with privilege comes responsibility, with benefit Mm -hmm. comes responsibility. And like, what are you being left out of? And like hearing you kind of rephrase it like that, I think for me, we're taught in the church that our role as a woman, our highest purpose is to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And being a mother is great. And I love my kids and I wouldn't change it. But at the same time, I look back and I think, what would I be like if I was taught I can do and be anything? Mm-hmm. I mean, I even picked a degree teaching high school that was something that was safe to fall back on if something happened to my husband. Mm. because it was around, you know, teaching hours would be similar to what my kids would be in school. Like Mm -hmm. that is how my brain worked. Mm. I didn't know that I could do whatever and be whatever. Mm -hmm. Now there are people who grew up Mormon and they're like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go do that. Well, they wouldn't say that word. They would say not that (laughs) word. (laughs) That I'm going to go do this. Yeah. Joy podcast is the only one I've ever done where I didn't curse. (laughs) I'm like, wait, oh, I can curse here. This is fine. Yeah, you can curse here. But that is how Mormon I was. Like, I didn't think outside the box. I just did all the things I was supposed to. I had a good life, you know, like everything was just lovely. Yeah. But it's when I started going, but why? I'm like, but why is, why is it this way? Mm -hmm. I I think that's what I look back on it. Like, I didn't know someone could choose to have children or not. Like that didn't enter my brain. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what, I don't know if I would have chosen that. Yeah, especially so. so yeah. It's just like every paradigm, and I think that's what I love so much about what I've learned with coaching. If a belief is a thought on repeat, and Mormonism is very repetitive, the way you do everything is very—I mean, religion kind of is. What other paradigms can I bust through mm-hmm. that I have beliefs that keep me held back? I mean, and that's a lot of the work that I've done with you over the years—is busting through some of those old paradigms. And I think that was the piece that I so fell in love with. I'm like, oh, but I did this already. Mm-hmm. Look what I did. I busted Right, it's like a superpower. You're like, I've totally. I now don't believe this thing that I used to believe so hard. Yes. But this is actually making me think like, as you know, I've coached you a lot on your money mindset and we yes. did finally break through it. Yes. <laughs> but I'm wondering if, did you feel like you got the message that like men are the ones who earn money? 100%. Yeah, that's so interesting. But see, I know that I've had this part of my personality because- so my husband was the breadwinner. We were very traditional nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And I 
was teaching until my first was born. And then my principal said, I'll hold your position if you want to come back in a year. I'm like, oh, great. I have a year to make a decision. Well, by that time, I'm like, I don't want to leave my baby. Mm-hmm. And I had another baby pretty quickly after that. But there was still something in me. I'm like, I still want to be doing something. So yeah. like I started a home-based business, you know, like I did little ceramic can of foot impressions of clients. But- oh my God. I remember that. I forgot that when you came to training, that's what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I had a ceramic business. But I think so- that hits on like, I mean, there's obviously some just like accidental, not accidental, but like one of the reasons that a lot of members of the Church of Latter-day Saints come through, like, let's say life coach school training is of course, because Jody was one of, Jody Moore yes. is a very prominent coach who's a member of the church and who coaches women in the church. And mm-hmm. she was one of Brooke's first employees. And so, you know, there's that, but I also think that there is this sort of, so many Mormon women are highly educated and intelligent and Smart like people. Yeah. Yeah. It is this funny mix. Like when I think about some of the more fundamentalist Jewish communities, it obviously varies a lot, but often not as much secular education is happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, it seems like in the church, of States, like women, are, they're like all going to college, right? They go to BYU, like they're educated and smart and they have that like intellectual or emotional or whatever energy. They want to do something. Yeah. And then they get married and then they stay and home. You kind and of, they, yeah. And you put it on the back burner. Yeah. They I have think. a bunch of kids and then they want something to do. Right. Right. And coaching is the sort of, you know, you can do it for, and like, I, you know, yeah. of course there's like a over-representation of members of the church of Latter-day Saints in multi-level marketing businesses, like yes. same thing that right. it's like an outlet for this sort of entrepreneurial mm-hmm. or intellectual spirit or effort that is compatible with this very traditional lifestyle. Yeah. And the church teaches us to be public speakers. We have to speak in our sacrament meeting, which is our That's Sunday so meeting. I mean, we do have many opportunities to serve and to be leaders. And, and there's a lot of overlap in the ideology, right? Yes. Like kind of prosperity gospel and like good, Definitely. right? Good mm-hmm. people make money. And there's this kind of overlap between yeah. the way that some coaching work around money is taught and some Christian prosperity gospel operates. Yeah, I guess so. I think too, though, I'm seeing a difference. Like I'm a Gen Xer, I'm 51. Mm -hmm. So I was part of the church when, like we were talking earlier, it didn't have this information age where you could Google anything. And even like, there was a big joke that women, girls go to BYU to get their MRS degree. Right. (laughs) You know, which is like what they used to say about like Radcliffe in the fifties. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's kind of when Mormonism flourished the most was kind Mm -hmm. of the fifties mindset, you know, everyone has their role, everyone fits mm-hmm. into it just perfectly. And then you've got people who are kind of like pushing at the seams mm-hmm. where like what we were just talking about, I'm like, well, I'm going to start a business that I can do while my kids are sleeping. Right. Cause I wasn't going to put them in daycare. Like there was all of this type of thinking where I kept it in this space and I did make it work. I'm kind of proud of myself for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, everything I did was secondary. Mm-hmm. And I had to make it work so it didn't upset the flow of our family where he was the breadwinner and I was at home right. kind of thing. So now you yeah. make some bread though. Yes. <laughs> now I do. <laughs> Which so, was a huge thing to bust through. Yeah. No, I know. I was there for the coaching. Yes, you have been. <laughs> so what would you say sort of, how do you feel now about kind of claiming your own authority or having your own ownership over your own life? Truthfully, busting through the Mormon paradigm is something I'm the most proud of Mm -hmm. because I had to go against everything. 
all friends, all family, mm-hmm. everything. And I would say that because I trusted myself in something that was extremely painful, I mean, I get a little teary, like I can hear it coming. I won't go there, yeah. but like, I literally was on the floor wanting the earth to swallow me up mm. when I realized like the day that it all came like, oh my God, the church isn't true. Mm-hmm. I was laying on the floor in my house, kids were at school, husband at work. My dog was sitting there next to me and I'm just like, I'd rather the earth swallow me up knowing mm. that it was going to be different going forward. Mm. Because I then had to be true to myself, which meant I couldn't fake it. I don't like faking anything. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like that. My God, I'm like, how did I even have to coach you about money? How do you not see what a badass you are that you, (laughs) like, went through this? Yeah, this crisis of faith, this crisis of conviction, and you chose to abandon everything comfortable to follow what you believe to be true. Yeah. I feel like you should be waking up every morning, like, just play (laughs) that on repeat. Like, you should be waking up every morning, like, I'm a fucking badass. Like, look at what I've done. Yeah. Cause I am, I guess those were just two different buckets, but because of the yeah. work, I'm like, Oh, I now see how they, they kind of intersect. Yeah. That's crazy so ride. When I feel like what you did, like the point of this conversation is not to be a feminist, you would change your mind about the church and leave the church. Right. Of course. It's like women being their own authority. So if you want to examine everything, whatever religious community you're in or family or political party or whatever, right. And decide that you want to stay. Like decide you believe it on purpose or you don't believe some of what you were taught, but you're going to stay for these reasons and you like Mm -hmm. them, whatever it is, right? It's just women being empowered to make the attentional choice for themselves about how to live their lives and not just kind of live by somebody else's rules or live by what they've been taught or just assume. I mean, women have so much trouble embracing authority, their own authority, because we are taught to defer to male authority. And like you had an extreme example of it in some ways mm-hmm. in the church, but we all experience that on some level, like who's oh, always the president, like who's most of the government, who is most of the top of the companies, who's most of whatever, right? right. Like yeah. we all still see our socialized to see men as more authoritative than women. And so I think, you know, for women, it's claiming your own authority, whether you're going to leave a church or stay in a church or leave a relationship or right. stay in a relationship yes. or whatever you're going to do, right? Yeah. Like claiming that for yourself, not mm-hmm. I have to stay because, or I have to be this way because men told me to and they're right, right? Or I don't think most of us think that. We just think that's why it's so sneaky, right? We're talking about this in the boot so camp sneaky. this week, the deprogram the patriarchy from your brain boot camp. Like it would be easy if in your brain there was just an announcer voice being like, men are right and women are stupid. Then you would be like, oh, wait, I don't think I want to think that. Right. That's not what you hear. What you hear is like, I don't know, maybe you're wrong. All these other people seem to think this. And like, so-and-so is smart and they know more than you do. And that's and- exactly what I, I would sit in my the sacrament meeting and I with all these amazing smart people. And I'd look around and go, well, they're smarter than me. So I'm just going to yeah. trust them. Right. So that shifting, it was that thought they're smarter than me that was producing mm-hmm. the fear yeah. and keeping me. And I'm like, no, I have a brain and I'm actually smart mm-hmm. and I'm going to figure this out. What's best for me. It might not be best for the person sitting next to me, but for me, no, I'm no longer subscribing to this because the conditioning starts so young mm-hmm. and I couldn't see the conditioning till I was out. I call it kind of 
that space of, I knew I was done, but I was still going through the motion. So I was still totally. going to church mm-hmm. and I'd walk past the primary room and I'd hear the children singing, follow the prophet. He knows the way mm-hmm. follow the prophet. He won't lead you astray or something like that. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's right. it. That's <laughs> you the, like that's- see the matrix. You're like, this is happening right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then once you see it that way, you can't unsee yeah. it. I couldn't unsee it anymore. So I was like, right. well, Right. And like the way you're describing, it's like, okay, men also learn to sing that song, but the men are taught to see themselves as a prophet, as versions of the prophet, right? As a priesthood holder, as a Mm prophet, like maybe they're not all the prophet, but as they are more like him than not, right? And then women are taught to see themselves as different. Yeah. Yeah. So to unravel it, it was everything for me. Definitely changed my life. So amazing. Well, such a joy to have you in ACFC and on the podcast. (laughs) Is there anything? (laughs) Tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Ex-Mormonology. Such a good title too. I'm just, (laughs) and you need to write a book with that. Like it's such a good title. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. I love it. I remember I came up with one and I posted it on Instagram and you immediately, you're like, Amy, no. That's not going to be the one. <laughs> oh, you I need remember to come that. Up, I was you like, need no, to come I hate up this. with something different. And then you came up with something great. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my podcast. And this is what I do. I life coach people through faith crisis. And so after. you work with somebody in any faith crisis. I do. Yeah. I have worked with people of most faiths where I, we kind of call it high demand religion, where mm-hmm. it's a religion where it just is mm-hmm. your life. Right. It's not and like, oh, I go once in a while to church. Right. Don't yeah. Because you don't really have to have a crisis to leave that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I coach people through that. And and obviously I'm incorporating all my feminist thoughts and teachings that you've helped yeah, me so with. So if you are but... having a faith crisis, high demand religion or moderate demand religion, yeah, and right. you're a feminist, check out Ex-Mormonology. And that's, I assume they can find you from the podcast. Yeah, they can find me there. My website is currently amyloganlife.com. I think I'm going to have exmormonology.com connect to it. Okay. But, um, we will put that in the show. Yes. That's how they can find me. All right. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.